This episode of the ACB Advocacy Update has been made possible in part through the support of ACB of Minnesota. You're listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the ACB Advocacy Update. I am your host, Swathan on the Kumar. ACB's advocacy and outreach specialist, and joined by Clark Rockfall, ACB's director of advocacy and governmental affairs. And thank you to everyone listening on on your podcast player on the ACB network and share and for sharing it and liking and recommending it to your friends. Yeah. So, Clark, what's going on today? Swatha, today we are talking about voting, uh, a topic that is not strange to any of our ACB members or friends, but we are in the midst of another election cycle. Um, The November 2022 midterm elections are fast approaching. I know many places around the country are already holding their primaries, and it's it's something that's near and dear to our members' hearts, not only because of all the changes that have taken place over the last two years um, to our uh, election systems and the way elections are run due to the COVID-19 pandemic, but certainly voting accessibility has been a top priority for the American Council of the Blind and our members for decades. With the passage of the Help America Vote Act, in 2002, and certainly the uh, other voting rights and civil rights legislation from the the 60s and 70s as well. So today, we're fortunate to be joined by uh, two guests to share some important developments in voting rights and voter engagement work. Uh, Partners of ACB Uh, in some cases on many fronts, but here today to specifically talk about the work they're doing in the voting sphere. Swatha, we are joined by two guests today. First, we have Rylan Rogers, the Disability Policy Advisor for Microsoft. And then we also have Whitney Questenberry, who is the Director for the Center for Civic Design. So Rylan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's great to be here. And um, this is one of my probably top five favorite conversations and topics because um, access to voting is so critical for all of us. And we're so happy to have you join us here to talk about voting. And Whitney, welcome to you too. I'm so happy to be here. This is my only favorite topic. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) All right, Rylan, um, can you talk about more about yourself and what you what you do at Microsoft? Yeah, um, so I identify as a person with a disability and I've had the great privilege of spending my professional life working on disability issues in a variety of roles. And I joined Microsoft a year ago because the company made a commitment to, as they say, double down on the disability divide. So really focus on some of those long-term barriers to full participation for all of us. 
in the world of technology, workforce, and workplace. And when they made that commitment, they recognized that um, Microsoft couldn't address those issues alone and that some of the change would come from policy change. So I am in a new to Microsoft role working full-time on disability policy issues, and it's been great fun. And Whitney, how about you? Please share with us the mission of the Center for Civic Design and your role. Well, I wanted to start with my role in history, which is that after the 2000 election, I ended up serving on the Voting System Standards Committee that was mandated by the Help America Vote Act, and I was privileged to be the chair for the usability and accessibility parts of that standard. I did version one, I drafted most of version 1.1, and then I uh, not as rolled off the committee, but as a, a contractor to NIST, actually worked on writing most of the 2.0, of course, led by the whole committee. Um, so I've been doing voting system standards for a long time. Uh, and that also led me to work on the 508 refresh committee. Um, I thought I would can just continue my professional work in user experience, and this would be the thing I did on the side. But in 2013, Dana Chisnell and I founded the Center for Civic Design. Our mission was to make voting easier for everyone. Uh, we brought our work as designers and researchers looking for ways to fit our approach of thinking about democracy as a design problem um, into improving voting for everyone. And what we mean by democracy as a design problem is that the institutional structures, the services, the interactions, the information, the forms, so everything about the experience people have of voting has to be designed to meet the goal of making it possible for all eligible Americans to vote. And in elections, we think that means focusing on voters who experience barriers to voting first. So that's people with disabilities, of course, but also students, people interacting with the justice system, new citizens, people who don't speak English well, communities that have faced historical barriers to voting. Um, all of those groups have, have, have special needs that are often not addressed well um, in the information. Uh, I'm speaking generally across, across the United States. There are states that do it very well. There are states that don't do it quite as well as that. In our day-to-day -day work, we work with both election offices and organizations in the community. That might be Microsoft, it might mean ACB or um, League of Women Voters, because we think it takes both, right? Elections offices provide the way we vote. You know, you know, here it is, here's the polling place, here's the vote by mail system. But community organizations are the ones who understand what their members need and their community needs. And we have a vision that if we could work together, we could raise participation in this country and close some of the participation gaps. Great. Um, Rylan, can you talk about the work the work Microsoft Microsoft is doing in voting advocacy and um the democracy forward initiative? Yeah, um, thanks for asking. It's a great question. I mentioned that Microsoft's really focusing on the disability divide in three areas. Technology is kind of obvious as Microsoft workforce, um, you know, sort of the 
reality that people with disabilities are not participating and bringing their talents to the workforce at the same rate as people without disabilities. And then the third bucket is workplace. And that's really about the societal barriers to full participation. And voting fits really well into that workplace bucket. Um, Microsoft is a big place, a global company with lots of projects going on. Um, when I arrived, I quickly met another team um, separate from accessibility called Democracy Forward, and they are very engaged in access to voting, in voting rights, and voting security, sort of all the dimensions that ensure that democracies work well. And in order for democracies to work well, we all need to have the opportunity to vote and to participate. So learn quickly about the work that they were doing, um, particularly work around something called Election Guard, which is focused on end-to-end -end verification. And there was lots of synergy around the idea that when we're talking about security and privacy, we are also talking about accessibility when we're Microsoft. And so how do we make sure that we're talking about all of those things together when we're talking about elections? So um, we were able to work together and pitch an idea that the Democracy Forward team and the accessibility team would join forces and work with community partners, including the Center for Civic Design, and really lean in on some issues around accessible voting. And that led to um, sort of lots of learning, lots of listening to community partners, including ACB. Um, for me, I had come fresh from another role in the advocacy community where I was deeply engaged across the disability community about election issues that came up in our most recent presidential election. So there was lots of relationships that um, led into that. And um, at Microsoft, we have something actually every year. It just finished um, this year's, this week, called a hackathon, where the company gives us a week to step away from our regular jobs and to pick a topic to work on. Um, I uh, don't have any hobbies outside of disability policy, and so couldn't think of anything I wanted to do other than work on something in that space. And so I leaned in um, with my friends on the Democracy Forward team and said, let's do something about accessible voting. And what I was aware of is how hard it was to get the information, but there wasn't any good sort of data or tracking around what's available for folks to learn about their accessible voting options in their community. So we had a hackathon team that started to look at what was going on in every state. And your members know better from firsthand experience that in many states, um, the information about accessible voting options lives in inaccessible websites. Um, so the irony of what you need to, to get through and to overcome to learn about your options, um, it was not lost on us. And that learning in that hackathon really spurred our chance to say, what can we do? What can we bring to this table? And that led to this idea of the accessible voting index. And can we find a way in a, as simple as possible a way to pull the information forward? Um, and obviously we had great partners in the Center for Civic Design that could help think about what are the right pieces and parts. And so it's been a great, almost a one year effort to take that hackathon lesson and create something that allowed people to engage, we hope, um, at a higher rate during the upcoming midterm election. So it's been a lot of fun, a lot of learning and a real reflection on what you could do when you're looking at privacy, security and accessibility together. Thanks, Ryland. And at Microsoft and the Center for 
Civic Design had a, a shared announcement. I'll say earlier this month because it is still September when we are recording this, although this will air in October. I believe it was September 12th that you all announced the Accessible Voting Index. So Whitney, if folks go to accessiblevoting.net and check out the Accessible Voting Index, what will they find? Uh, well, they will find a website that um, has all the basic voting information that people need. What are the polling place hours? When is early voting? And so on. Plus, as much of the kinds of information that we heard from voters with disabilities that they need to participate effectively as we could gather. Um, as Ryland said, it's sometimes not easy to even find this information, um, even with a team of three of us combing the websites for it. And we wanted that to be information coming from the official website, not from third parties, because we want it to be super accurate. Um, the site itself was built on the design that we started two years ago um, called Healthy Voting, which, which combined basic information with public health information then at the height of the pandemic. And I had the idea for that site that we would add a little card at the bottom that would have some information about um, accessible voting in every state. I thought this would be super easy. We'll just, you know, go through the sites and find it. And that was in some ways the genesis of accessible voting because seeing how hard it was for me, a professional sighted researcher to find things um, made me really think about how hard it was for an individual to find things. And that when we had to decide what we would do this year, I mean, it's an election year. We wanted to, we wanted to be out there. We wanted to see what the reaction was and we wanted to launch it during Disability Voting Rights Week uh, that led to this website. It was designed to be mobile um, to be easy to read. So we worked very hard on making the language as simple and plain as possible, thinking about not only rushed readers or people who don't actually want to read that much information about voting, but also uh, people with intellectual disabilities and people who maybe just don't know that much about, about voting, trying to make sure we kept the jargon to a minimum. Um, and we want it to be really easy to scan, to scroll through quickly and find the, the pieces of information you needed, plus some backgrounds on what your voting rights are. Um, two of the things that we focused on this year were gathering information on accessible voting by mail. Some states have wonderful programs, some people, states have nascent programs, and some haven't quite gotten there yet. But there are 29 states that have some form of interactive um, accessible voting by mail and two or three more that um, send out uh, PDFs, which I, I think that they were mainly thinking someone would print and mail back. So they're not what I would call fully accessible, but they're a start. Um, and we also heard a lot about um, how much people wanted to know what voting system they'd be working on, either for in-person or remote voting. Uh, and so we looked that up in every state and uh, we linked to the systems that are in use to say videos or textual information or um, or podcast information about how how you use those systems uh, with the idea that uh, that would help people plan their voting experience better. Um, the, the thing that we also thought about um, about where this might go is that um, all the, there's some great websites out there from the League of Women Voters to vote.org vote that have wonderful information, but they don't have very much information for people with disabilities. And um, it, the long-term goal is not to maintain a separate website. The long-term goal is to think about how 
we or somebody could gather the information, create a data set, and uh, make that available so that just the way the Voter Information Project does, so that it's part of the general data set for voting in, at all. Um, it's a pretty big lift to do that, and you do need a long-term commitment to it. It's not really typical of a CCD project. So we think of this uh, as something we could do this year to show both the challenges to making that information available, but also what uh, a nicely accessible, easy-to-use website would look like. Um, we also think that while we hope that individual voters, like members of ACV, find it useful, the biggest impact might be as a resource for the many groups that support voters. By having a clear, simple website with consistent information across all 50 states in DC, it becomes more possible for a multi-state hotline to get their callers the right information quickly and get them the links to the right page to look things up for themselves. And you just answered my next question of who is this intended for? So that's really interesting to hear you talk about uh, the accessible voting index in that way so that it's a it is a real tool and resource for individual voters with disabilities as well as disability rights organizations to serve those individuals. Uh, but also it can be a, a tool for the broader public, whether it's uh, election jurisdictions or civil rights organizations serving the broader community uh, to also know that a, a tool or a resource like this is available. I guess one more specific question, and I'm really glad that you you touched on the, the difficulties of A, gathering this information, making it available, uh, as a, a snapshot in time, right? As we approach these 2022 elections, uh, whenever ACB has endeavored an undertaking like this, uh, it's one thing to create it, but then it's a whole nother thing to to keep it updated and relevant over, over the years, right? As you have oh. many different jurisdictions uh, passing laws and changing their system down the road. So it as, as this will evolve, and hopefully, hopefully it's continued in the future, if not by the Center for Civic Design, uh, potentially by someone, someone else, um, how would you recommend, or what, I guess, like what advice or what thought do you have about uh, maintaining the relevancy and accuracy of something like this? Well, I actually think, it, you're absolutely right, that the, it, that it's not enough to do it once. You have to maintain it because things change. Laws change, keeping up with, well, in 2020, we were keeping up with, you know, the lawsuits and the disasters and the, and the pandemic, um, but uh, also keeping up with uh, changes in equipment. I actually think that it takes two kinds of organizations to do this, and it would be great to see it as a partnership. One are the groups like Democracy Works that runs the Voter Information Project or Ballot Ready or any of the other groups that manage the large civic data sets um, to be able to include the information that voters with disabilities need um, and keep that up to date. Because once you're contacting a state to get basic information, adding a little more information is a little, is a less of a lift than trying to do just, you know, just one piece of information. But I think it also requires the disability community because 
as expectations for what access an accessible site looks like change, as commonly used assistive technologies change, as the, the big tech platforms we all use change, those needs will also shift. And you would want this to keep up with that. So if something new comes out in a year, you might want to be able to, to, to comment or to provide information on whether the voting system has kept up or whether the website has kept up. So I, you know, when I dream about the future for this, I think, you know, what if it was a coalition partnership? Maybe it's under RevUp, um, but that's partnering with one of the civic data sets by providing um, expert information about information needs to people who are experts in maintaining information. And then wouldn't it be wonderful if every little information website had a section on accessible voting that was pulled from that data feed? <laughs> yep. Rylan, any, any additional thoughts from you on the accessible voting index? Yeah, I think it's really, I hope people are hearing that this is, the intention is really around access. And the, the truth of the matter is this information should be part of every large website that's providing information to voters. So when you're using your favorite search engine to prepare and plan to vote, you should be able to discover this information. And the reality is that to date, that hasn't been true. So thinking about how do you pull it together, which we've taken a bite at, but then the next step is really how do we take that and start to integrate it? Because this should not be um, hard to find and it really shouldn't be separate, you know, and it really speaks to the principles of our democracy and inclusion and this information is available. The other piece that's true around factors that really drive accessible voting is that they, the folks that they benefit may or may not personally identify as disabled. And so the idea that this needs to be a separate siloed piece is really leaving out the reality that access issues impact a wide swath of our voting population. And absolutely, that includes people who identify with a wide variety of disability identities, but it also includes folks who may be experiencing a temporary disability or have an access need that they don't personally connect to disability. Right, so, Clark, our members and affiliates, have, our members and affiliates have been busy this year on and then past couple of years on voting access. So. Yes, in, they. Yeah, go ahead. Yes, they have, Swatha. So uh, big shout out to the, the Bay State Council of the Blind, our folks in Massachusetts, uh, who have been engaged for several years um, and ultimately had to get a, a bill passed to secure uh, their access to remote accessible voting so that they can electronically uh, receive, mark, verify, and return an absentee ballot. Uh, similar work has been done in the state of Rhode Island, as well as uh, this year, North Dakota, and excuse me, North Dakota was last year. Um, although there's there's still some additional work that needs to be done. That the law has been passed and signed by the governor, um, but there's they're still waiting on implementation there. So additional work to be done. Uh, but 
Swatha, uh, your home state, Illinois, they've been very active on voting access as well. Yep, and they've really kept really kept us at National Office engaged in that work. Um, is that this year, last year, that they had that the they are able to get about electronically. They can't turn it yet, but they can still be filled out. So that's a big, it's a big win right there. Yes, and and certainly work continues in uh, states like you know, Washington, Oregon, New Jersey, um, the Illinois Council of the Blind, with partners like Equip for Equality and Access Living of Metro Chicago, and the uh, NFB of Illinois, because uh, we're always stronger when we work together in a broad coalition and collaborate uh, and lock arms. They're, they're continuing the, uh, to advocate there in Illinois, much like many other states across the board. Uh, and I, I will note that the, for the American Council of the Blind over the, the past couple years since the pandemic, a lot of the access to voting advocacy has focused on uh, remote or absentee voting. Uh, like, like Whitney was saying, in, in some states it's very nascent, other states have very robust absentee voting programs. Um, you know, many of our members fought for decades mm-hmm. to make the polling place accessible and have that codified in the Help America Vote Act. Um, but there are still uh, lingering questions out there on what accessible voting looks like um, when voting remotely or voting absentee. Uh, recently, the, the National Council of State Legislators, or NCSL, they've updated their website with ad- additional information about electronic absentee voting and specifically electronic ballot return. So one thing that I want to highlight from their website is that 31 states, the District of Columbia, as well as the U.S. Virgin Islands, um, allow uniformed military and overseas voters or UACABA voters to return their ballot electronically. Uh, that could be fax, email, or through an online portal. Uh, yeah, however, they allow disabilities to do the same. Exactly. So that's that's a um, that's a glaring issue for ACB and our members uh, because if this is technology that is, uh, you know, available. And folks, some voters have access to it. Certainly, this, these are systems that should be available for voters with disabilities that have ac- issues accessing the polls. Um, Rylan, uh, not to put you on the spot, but to kind of put you on the spot, you know, our folks in the California Council of the Blind, they've been supporting uh, legislation to expand remote accessible voting in the state of California. And Microsoft uh, publicly supported that effort. Isn't that right? 
Um, that's correct. So Microsoft really has leaned in in a variety of ways in the policy space around voting. You know, at the federal level, Microsoft endorsed um, the John Lewis Voting uh, Rights Act. And at the state level, we really we, um, sort of looked at policies based on our principle that accessibility is a human right. And the reality in, that we've sort of all talked about in a variety of ways is that when we think about accessible voting, um, it is not one type of voting and there are different options that will be needed to truly provide accessible options to meet everyone's needs. Um, to say that it's complicated feels like the understatement of the century, but at Microsoft, we've really been leaning in on the security questions, on the privacy questions, and on the accessibility questions. So continuing that conversation in the policy space makes sense. How do we make sure that voters have their accessibility needs met, including, um, if appropriate, the option to return a ballot electronically? And at the same time, how do we make sure that we're um, creating policy that addresses privacy, security, and accessibility. So it's an ongoing conversation, as you know, and we're excited to sort of actively be engaged and see where what comes next in that frontier. It's been a part of the conversation that's happened around um, an open sourced Microsoft effort called Election Guard, which is around end-to-end variable. End of it. I can't even say the word. Independent verification. Thank you. Um, but it really is sort of, you know, if we can solve some of the security issues, then can we unlock some of the barriers around accessibility? So we're excited about what the future brings in that space and to continue being involved in the conversation. And we're certainly excited uh, for the leadership that Microsoft is displaying in this space. Whitney, why do you think it's so important for uh corporations and companies to to weigh in and to be allies to expand voting access and uh, increase voter participation. I mean, look, to use a, a, a cliche, it takes a village. But I think that um, it's important that it's not only disability rights groups that are heard from, but that um, groups that are interested in good government in general or elections in specific are also heard from speaking up for everyone's ability to vote. Um, I also think it's really important uh, not, uh, you know, I know that we want the every election department to have a beautiful, accessible website and a great voter outreach um, program to reach every voter, but elections happen a few times a year for most voters, and so it's not your everyday way to find things. So I think it's also really important for the community groups. I don't just mean disability community groups, but your, you know, your school, your your tennis club, whatever, to um, also be providing information about how to vote in your community and to be able to do that easily. Um, and in general, I think all of this sort of has to add up not just to have good policy, which is, of course, the basis for everything, but that it empowers would-be voters, uh, people who may have thought about voting or wanted to vote and got stuck somewhere along the line or encountered a barrier, to have resources to help them get past that and be able to vote for the first time or be able to vote in a new location um, or to vote at all. Yep, absolutely. Um, Whitney and Rylan, um, 
where can listeners go if they want to learn more about either CCV or work Microsoft 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 doing Microsoft is doing in this space? Well, I'll start the easiest one for this year is accessiblevoting.net. Um, that's the website. If you'd like to know, know more about Center for Civics Design's broader program in improving elections and um, working on the materials that you have to interact with, that we are civicdesign.org. I'll just add that uh, Microsoft published a blog around our commitment to accessible voting and sort of the why and what we're um, interested in that space. And you can find it on Microsoft on the issues. And then to learn sort of all up around Microsoft's commitment around accessibilities, um, that's just Microsoft accessibility. So I'm happy to follow up and continue the conversation as everyone engages. So thanks so much for the time. And I think all of us have Twitter feeds that intersect. So um, that's an easy place to find the links uh, without having to plow through a website. Right. Well, Rylan Rogers, uh, Disability Policy Advisor for Microsoft, and Whitney Questenberry, Director for the Center for Civic Design. Thank you both so much for joining us for this conversation here today and for your advocacy to make elections more accessible and to increase uh, voter engagement and voter participation. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you so much. It was great to be here. Thank you both. And before we sign off, I would be remiss if I did not mention uh, the voting accessibility work being done by ACB of Indiana in, in conjunction with Indiana Disability Rights and Disability Rights Advocates. Uh, not specific to electronic absentee voting or remote accessible voting as we discussed earlier, uh, but in Indiana, for the first time, voters with disabilities may receive assistance from an individual of their choosing who's not their employer or union representative, you know, like guaranteed yeah, by yeah. law. Uh, <laughs> previously in Indiana, uh, you had to schedule an appointment with the traveling election board. So that is a, a huge victory and something that cannot be understated to increase the, the privacy um, in helping the independent choice of voters with disabilities who choose to vote remotely in the state of Indiana. For folks who would like to learn more about ACB's efforts, including the, those by our affiliates like ACB of Indiana, uh, you can visit our website at acb.org voting. And unless Whitney says no, we would absolutely love to include a link there to the accessible voting index we to have that tool readily available. How does that sound, Whitney? We'd love to have it out there as in many places as we can get it so that people come across it in their daily lives. That's great. And uh, Swatha, you're, you're from the Chicagoland area. My wife is from Chicago. So uh, I'll tell our listeners to vote early and vote often. We will continue our voting work and we'll, we'll also close this podcast the, the same way we always do. Keep advocating.
This episode of the ACB Advocacy Update has been made possible in part through the support of ACB of Minnesota. ACBM wants to send along heartfelt greetings to all of its family throughout the ACB community. Having hosted two outstanding and invigorating ACB national conventions, they are committed to expanding opportunity for Americans who are blind and visually impaired. ACBM supports the James R. Olson Memorial Scholarship honoring one of its past members, and they continue to not let life during these challenging times slow down. ACBM invites all to their informative bi-monthly community conference calls, ranging on everything from sports and technology to gardening and loving life in the land of 10,000 lakes. They hold quarterly monthly membership meetings, monthly coffee gatherings, and monthly board meetings. To learn more about ACBM, visit their website at www acbminnesota.org or call 612-223-5543. ACBM, a supporter of the ACB Media Network.